This is Only We Matter Podcast with Jacqueline and Brandon, bringing generations together. Welcome back to Only We Matter Podcast with Jacqueline and Brandon, and uh, it is it is a, a wonderful it's a wonderful day. <laughs> it's a wonderful day. We're excited. Um, we do have a wonderful guest that's coming. Our, our first returning guest, actually. But but before we even get there today, Jacqueline. Uh, before we get there, uh, we want to chat a bit about what does it mean to add faith into your career? Now, for me, this this is, you know, make, it just makes sense. I, I am a pastor. Uh, my, my career is all about faith and adding your faith into it. Um, but you've had an interesting journey in the media world and, 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 and have wrestled greatly with this idea of where does your Christianity, where, how does following Jesus affect your career? Where, is it even included or, or do we, do we separate them? Do we just like, my career is my career and my faith is my faith and we should separate them. What does that wrestle look like for you? Yeah, that's a good question, Brandon. And, um, I have actually wrestled with that, um, for quite a few years. And, um, I came to the place where, I believe that if the Lord wants me to be involved in a specific project, then I will be involved in that specific project. I hold it really loosely. I lay it before him. He knows what our needs are. So if I need financial money, you know, um, I need a financial pay for that month, then I usually get something on set, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. And, um, you know, there are some things that I have said no to because I'm like, yeah, I just don't even want to be associated with that project. That project really goes against everything that is in my core Mm. being. Um, But I also feel very strongly that we need to be a light wherever we are, in whatever industry that is. The downside, if there is a downside of uh, of the media uh, industry, is that it's so out front. It's so in your face. It's so visible and it's so public. And so that's the downside. I mean, you know, engineers have an industry where they fight with science or, you know, they have to work through that and their faith, you know, Um, lots of industries. You Mm -hmm. have to work through that. Um, I just think that the media is just difficult because it's so public. Everything is public really about the industry. And, um, Our philosophy is we just want to be a light wherever we are. So when we go to set, there are some things that I just won't do. There are some things that um, they, they just know I've been around enough that, you know, the people that I end up on set with, usually some of them, they just know, oh, she's religious or she has a faith or no, she just doesn't do that for whatever reason. Right. right? Um, And in the projects that we create, we are also looking at making them light. We, uh, there is one project actually that we are just in the uh, pre-development stage and uh, there will be some type of faith element to it, but really it's about telling history and it's about diversity and it's about how do women navigate this and uh, in talking with our team we just we said we really want to be a light at the end of the day we want to be a light and um 
that doesn't mean it has to go on to a faith-based channel. It just means that in our actions, in what we are putting out in our dialogue, we want to at least be some some form of light where people say, hey, what's so different about this project? Or why are they different? Yeah, and I, yeah, I think that's good because we can often think of, uh, you know, either one of those two extremes of, you know, my my faith and my career are just different. They don't really affect each other. Uh, or just over the top, like Christianese that I'm, I, I need to tell every single person that I encounter about the gospel uh, just outright. They just need to know and, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, forging forward for the for the for the lord whereas like well actually every decision we make is affected by what we believe right and i think that comes to our career i was having a conversation with a, a young adult couple a couple months ago and uh, the the made law in canada the medical uh, assisted in dying um, law has been uh, being changed recently uh, in canada and and it was a was a, a pharmacist who was battling with the decision because she has the decision to actually just simply transport the drug that that basically kills people that for the doctors to administer in the process and so she was battling with this what do I do you know I really I'm not I'm not doing it I'm not even but my participation in it is was weighing heavy on on her, and so we had a good pastoral conversation about that, about wow. uh, what that is. So it's like it's it's true that our faith really affects, you know, our moral decisions and and our direction as we look for the peace of Christ, and and it's not not this separate entity uh, that many many people I think do live that way, uh, that their faith and their careers are different things and they don't affect each other, but they really do. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I'd love to actually talk to that lady and find out what her response was. Like, where did she end up on the scale? Because somebody once told me, oh, I don't, um, they said, oh, I don't compartment, compartment, you know, put those things in boxes. Compartmentalize. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a Monday. <laughs> and uh, they're like, yeah, I don't do that in my life. And I'm like, well, I don't think I do either. But... I don't put on my producer brain when I'm helping somebody cook. Mm-hmm. I don't. But the core of me is still about wanting to be light. Yes. And so, um, you know, so that's in actions, that's in speech. It's in thought as well. So I, I really am curious about how that that lady, that young person was able to navigate that. Yeah. 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 We will, we'll find out one day here soon. Wow. I'm sure they'll contact yeah. me again, but so I'll be curious today to talk with, uh, Thomas Bonifield. We're having him back on to the podcast, uh, from back earlier before Christmas and to chat a bit about his career. We found him so intriguing that we just needed to have him back to talk about his, his career in media in particular, and to talk about what, what is faith in his career meant and, and maybe how can we pass that on to our listeners here today? I can hardly wait to, to, um, talk to him, Brandon, like you said, like his career, this guy just absolutely blows me away with what he has done and who he is. And he's so humble. Hmm. 
he's just so humble when he talks about it. And uh, today, we really want to talk about his faith and his faith journey through his credibility, the things that he's done, his resume. And he's going to talk about that because we we are going to bring up everything that he that he sent us as a background because we really wanted to know exactly what he's done. And I'm excited to bring him on. Well, Thomas, uh, you know, I've been calling you Thomas all this time. Do you go by Thomas or? I do. You do. I do. My okay. father's Tom and my son is Tommy. So I am in the middle. You are in the middle. Well, thank you for coming back on Only We Matter. We loved having you a month ago, and we got such good reports from people from our interview. And um, we just really, we just want to talk about your career because you have had a phenomenal career. And I want to know more about that. And we want to know about Jesus and the threat of Jesus all through that. Amen. Yeah, well, I've been blessed by God. There's no doubt about it. I don't profess to have any superior knowledge or talent that helped me do what I did. It was really God opening the way at every turn, frankly. So to him be the glory. And let's talk about it. Well, last time we had you on, Thomas, we were talking about actually a, a very different career that you've been un- embarked upon recently of a, a Christmas movie that you you wrote and produced of Miracle on Christmas. But, so we wanted to catch up. How has that been going? What's the response been And since we talked last? Well, compared to my other career, that one's a very brief one thus far, less than a year. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hopefully it'll go as long and be as successful as the previous one. Uh, but the, the reception has been really good. The movie came out on the 3rd of November, uh, available on Amazon Prime. So free to people who subscribe to that service, including in Canada. And I think something like 52 or three other countries, actually, in addition to the U.S. Uh, and, you know, on Amazon, you can leave reviews and ratings and so on. And those have all been universally positive. So it's really been touching to see that the, God's using the movie and his humble servant here to uh, touch the hearts of multitudes i hope ultimately yeah wow oh, that's really good very to hear cool. very cool well uh let's talk about your other career that you came from to do directing in movies so i'm reading your bio and i'm really truly in awe thomas <clears throat> And that we are able to interview you. Oh, you're giving me way too much credit. We need to put a little asterisk right here. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I um no, I you know, I've I have met several people, none of the caliber that you have been with, but uh, lots of people that that perhaps you could be starry eyed with. And I I just am so over that. But the things that you have been able to do, I'm like, wow, I am just in awe that the Lord has allowed you to be in those places. So, Brandon, why don't you uh, read some of the things that Thomas has done? Yeah, absolutely. We'll recap from uh, from our last time, and it, it's this. So as a former TV journalist, um, Thomas Bonifield worked for ABC News, Fox News Channel, and NBC News where he was a Moscow bureau chief and deputy foreign editor. Uh, He spent about 18 years overseas and covered conflicts in Bosnia, Afghanistan, and Iraq, and has interviewed uh, many high-profile people, including Putin and uh, Pope John Paul II. And uh, he worked with some Canadians as well, which is uh, some pretty fun as well. Um, 
So we are, we are excited to dig into what this has looked like for you and then what uh, your, your faith has looked like. And so um, let's start then with even your, your earlier days when you were uh, talking in ABC News as the Moscow Bureau Chief. Um, you, you covered some, some a Russian war in the midst of that. Um, what, what is it like to cover something quite as high profile as a, as a, a Russian election? <laughs> Yeah, that was um, in the late 90s when Boris Yeltsin was running for re-election uh, against uh, kind of the last serious contender from the Communist Party after the Soviet Union had fallen apart. And it was fantastic. We at ABC, I was actually a producer there, and we ended up getting the, the ticket to be the American pool for that campaign. And I was designated as the producer for that. So we went all over the country with him. I mean, my, my wife is Russian from Moscow, and I've covered much more of the country in terms of my travels than she has. Just largely off of that trip, we probably went to 30 different locations all, all over the place. I mean, from the Arctic Circle to the Black Sea, White Sea, the Far East, uh, all the way to the European border. So it was really fantastic. You know, the beauty of those American networks, especially back then, maybe less so now than, than then, is they have lots of money. So you, you cover things the way they really ought to be covered. Right. Um, and it was fantastic. It was a it was a great experience for me. I was there from 95 to 98 with ABC uh, and got to see and do a lot of really interesting things. And that was my first tour of Russia because uh, I went back for NBC later. Uh, but that was really something. And I went right at the beginning, if, if you remember, perhaps after the Soviet Union came apart, there was a lot of conflict. I mean, throughout the former republics and in, in Russia itself, uh, in particular in Chechnya, which is a Muslim republic in the southern part of the country. And there was a big war there and a serious one that killed something like 80 or 100,000 people. So it was really a terrible conflict. So I kind of got there right when that was still at its height. Uh, so starting from there through that presidential election, it was, uh, it was quite a time. Well, I want to go back even before then, I think. I want to know, when did you accept Jesus? When did you learn of Jesus? Was it before this? Was it during this? When did you marry your wife? Because she's Russian. Did you pick her up on one of your, you know, treks around the country? Or like, <laughs> I, I want to know some of that stuff so we can like springboard off of it. Well, that's a pretty broad spectrum there. <laughs> I became a Christian as a boy, actually. My family, my mother and father were believers and I became one as a young, I mean, I was probably eight or nine, something like that. But I didn't really get serious about my faith until I went off to college. I went to Arizona State University, which is in the Phoenix area, area, uh, and I joined a, an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ, which is a big international now uh, campus ministry, and they've actually moved into other areas of ministry and I've changed the name. It's called Crew now, not Campus Crusade for Christ, at least not in the U.S. But that was where I became serious about it. So as a young man, um, and it's been the most important thing in my life since then. Uh, my wife and I actually met when we were still students, because when I was at Arizona State, I was a journalism major, but I minored in Russian, of all things. And I went to the Soviet Union uh, before it all came crashing down. And she and I met then. Uh, that was, let's see, that would have been in like 1989. I'm giving my age away here. Um, but we, we didn't get married until like 97 when I went back for ABC. I mean, we became we were friends. In that interlude, but I was in the States and she was there, of course. And uh, wow. when I moved back, we rekindled our friendship and it blossomed into something more. Praise God. Yeah. Wow. Well, I want to know. Um, so she's obviously a Christian and I want to know about your faith through these 
locations like you like you've covered like not just wars but you've covered like pope john paul ii bill clinton's impeachment i mean you've covered such high profile things but i want to know like how were you able to maintain your faith and balance it during those times mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, it's always been the foundation as an adult, certainly, of, of everything I do, uh, but I certainly don't profess to sainthood here. And, you know, some of those places are tough places, and journalism is a tough business, and TV journalism in particular is a business that's got a lot of aggressive, difficult people working in it. And when you're in that maelstrom, it's really hard sometimes as a believer to live out your faith. And I certainly was not perfect. I will readily admit that. Yeah. Um, in terms of interacting with people in situations. But ultimately, ours is a God who is uh, one who extends grace through the blood of Christ that washes away all our sins. And uh, of course, claim that with monotonous regularity all throughout my adult life, including mm. to this very day. So mercifully, he's been there all along the way and safeguarded me and uh, the people who I was responsible for because I, the second time I went back to Moscow, I was the bureau chief for NBC. I did a couple go rounds in Baghdad during that, well, kind of after the initial war, quote unquote, but when there was all sorts of terrorism and attacks and bombings and so on. And, you know, I had a team of mine that was abducted by out and out terrorists in a place called Fallujah, which was really a violent place. Uh, and I mean, by the hand of God, they came out of there alive. It was really trying. So, you know, through all those things, I really have been reliant on God um, over and over and over again. And he, he's really opened doors for me career-wise uh, th through this current endeavor of mine with the movies and all along the way in journalism. Because as you said, I got to cover some really fantastic things, um, things that were really on the world agenda at the time. Yeah. Uh, and even, even now looking back were, you know, kind of touchstone moments uh, in modern history, I think, in a lot of ways. <laughs> Yeah, and you 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 mentioned this briefly about, um, but uh, there was a, a about a, a short period of time there where part of your team was taken hostage um, by by terrorists, and you said is by the hand of God. Can you give us a paint us a picture of what that looked like in that time for you and for your team? Sure, that was I want to say that was in like two thousand four. And that city, Fallujah, is west of Baghdad, and it's a, a Sunni stronghold kind of when Saddam Hussein, who was of course Sunni was in power, that was one of his like real stronghold places. And then when he was swept away, of course, they were kind of the odd men out since their Sunnis uh, are the minority in Iraq, even though they were in power with Saddam. Uh, and there was a lot of animosity there directed at America in general and the American military in particular. Um, and that place had been kind of raging for a while. And the U.S. Marine Corps surrounded the thing and put in place something called the Fallujah Brigade, which was a group of military people nominally who were in allegiance to the regime at the time after Saddam. Um, so, you know, we were debating about going in and doing a story on it because it had been a no-go no zone for a couple months, Fallujah. Uh, and... Against my better judgment, we did actually go do that story. Well, we, we sent a team. We didn't do a story. We sent a team in. They went to the checkpoint where the U.S. Marine Corps had cordoned off the city. And they probably went, I found out later, maybe 70 yards, 100 yards past that checkpoint. And they were pulled over by terrorists headed by a Saudi guy. 
and disappeared for days. And I mean, I really was worried we'd never see him again, certainly not among the living. Um, but, you know, I, I immediately lit up the prayer chain, the global prayer chain that I have at my disposal, praise God. Mm-hmm. And we had a man, a local man who was working for us is what's called a fixer. So, you know, if you want to do interviews with people or set things up, he's a local guy, he has contacts, he'll call and help make things happen. Uh, his name was Dr. Fadel. And he was a medical doctor, actually, but he had really good connections in Fallujah. And through him, we were able to get our guys out of there. It was a four-man team led by our, a correspondent named Ned Cole. But, you know, when they got out, they told me that that house, that there had been people killed in that house. And there was literally blood on the walls and teeth marks where they had taken people's faces and smashed them into the wall. So, I mean, this was a very serious thing. And it literally was a miracle that they lived to tell. I mean, it's really... It was a terrible week for me. Ter- I mean, more terrible for my team, of course. Of course. But it was, yeah. you know, when you got the responsibility of those people's lives hanging on you and their families calling all the time, wondering what's going on. And NBC was owned by GE at the time, which was a, was a huge global uh, company. And they they even sent security people in there to see if they could help. So, I mean, it was a really serious, serious occasion. So how did they get free in the end? How did they come out? Well, our, that fixer of ours, Dr. Fadel, um, you know, this went on for days and he actually got in contact with them pretty quick. And it was, as I say, a Saudi who was in charge of it. So they weren't, there were some Iraqis involved, but they weren't, he was, wasn't a, an Iraqi who was running the show, so to speak. Uh, and he went to them and said that, you know, we've had a lot of violence in our town and a lot of it's been destroyed in the U.S. Marine Corps, you know, five clicks away from this building. If you kill those people, they're going to come back in here and hurt a lot of our people. So we're going to give you about 24 hours to cut them loose. We're coming in here to get you. And uh, they, they understand the language of force and send them back and praise God. So, wow. yeah, it was really something. I mean, it was touch and go and they could have easily come out of there in bags if they came out at all. So in that, in that, in those moments, was there, like a verse that just like you just clung to was there something or was it just like one sentence prayers every like 20 minutes as you're walking down the hall or looking for an answer from somebody somewhere and it's just like lord help us lord save yeah, them more, more the second than the first mm. um but it was really a blessing to have a network of believers that I could reach out to. Wow. As far afield as Europe or here, even in the Valley of Sun where I live, because there was someone here that I was in touch with, my own family as well, uh, all praying for people that they didn't know in a place they've never seen or never had heard of until that point. Uh, And to see God using his people all over the world for that instance. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. You know, we, we serve an amazing, powerful God who can do anything. He can even use, you know, broken instruments like us to help advance his kingdom. And he does. So it was a really, it was an intense time, but, you know, I really sensed the faithful, steadfast love of our heavenly father through that. Um, And, you know, it's one of those instances, I think, you know, that great French mathematician slash theologian Pascal said, you know, it's good to be weary chasing after, after the temporal that we ultimately can extend our weary arms to the father, right? Because nothing here ultimately is going to stand firm mm-hmm. for us. I mean, in a, yeah. an acute situation like that, you sense it in really particularly intensely, but 
uh, th that really is where we need to go. And in, when you're in a desperate situation like that, you understand more clearly that you have nowhere else to go. Yeah. Mm. So even though I wouldn't like to repeat it, those kinds of instances can be a good thing because they really focus our attention and our faith on on the Father. Well, that's true, right? Because our, our faith affects our decision-making, right? Our, the core of our beliefs, it affects how we make decisions, affects where we go, it affects how we uh, treat people. Um, and and it, it's amazing that that one that, that alone, for you, I, you can see how it's shaped how you approach things. Just, just the fact that you said, I need to contact my prayer chain around the world. You know, that that's yeah. huge. Like that we have in in the world that we have the church willing to go to the Father with us as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is such a unique thing about um about following Jesus is that we have that community, but it's a community who's all talking to the same God together and and pleading on their on their behalf, your team's behalf and yourself and and I think that is so, so unique and so good, to, so interesting to see as you work that in to your life. Your, your faith was, has been a part of that uh, type of decision making. Mm. Yeah, well, I, think, I frankly couldn't imagine it any other way. I, I just scratch my head and wonder at people who aren't believers and when they're in situations like that, I, I know. where they go with it. What do you do with that? Because I think for us, and I certainly don't enjoy trials any more than anyone else, be it a believer or an unbeliever. But, you know, those things help to focus us on what really matters ultimately. And that is not this temporal world in which we live. And it's easy to get pulled into it. You know, it's happened to me before. And, you know, on, on a daily basis, sometimes you're struggling with that. And I think that's the blessing of the trials hmm. because there is no other solution for them, depending on how serious they are. And they help to pull us back to the source. Yeah. Our Father, through Christ, by the Spirit. Uh, so while I don't enjoy them, they serve a really important purpose for us in terms of our eternal destiny, yeah. which is secure, but it's important to be drawn over and over and over to the Father, yes. which is why I think type of prayer and study of the Word and interaction with fellow believers, iron sharpening iron, are so important for us in terms of making sure your faith is grounded in what really matters and what will not shake even in tumultuous times. Well, that's great. So thanks for coming on. That's a wrap. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, are you not, are you like a preacher in like the other seven days or six days of the week? I'm just wondering. See, when you're around TV and you have to be able to go live, you got to be able to keep talking. You never know. Sometimes the, the screen goes black and you don't know if you're still on the air or not. You just keep going. You just go. <laughs> So you just have like an arsenal of like stuff, right? That you could just bring You're to ready, the forward. Yes. You're just, just keep ready. Talking. Um, I, I want to cover a few things. Um, I have questions written down. Um, I want to talk about, you mentioned that your time in New York ended badly. And uh, we don't want details, but we do want to know, how do you recover and keep your faith intact? when it doesn't end well. Mm. Yeah, no, I won't get into details. I won't name any names or anything like no, that. No, we don't want that. In time in New York. When I was The first time I was there was in uh, the late 90s. I was with Fox News Channel, the cable outfit owned by Murdoch. Uh, and that ended well. Um, the second time I was there was with NBC, and I had been the Moscow bureau chief for about six years. And my family was young. My wife and I have three children, and I wanted to get back to the so they could go to school here and grow up here. I had been trying for a few years. Ideally, I wanted to do it with NBC. And then finally, they 
created a job for me uh, there in New York. Um, and as the Moscow bureau chief, I was also a producer. So I actually got out a lot. It wasn't really a desk job per se. And staff about 15 people, so a small group. Uh, whereas the New York thing ended up being an out-and-out -out desk job, which I didn't, since it was a new position, I didn't envision it to be what it ended up being. So it, it didn't go very smoothly. And I, you know, I'll take a lot of responsibility for that. I think it was kind of miscast, if I may use a movie term, uh, for that role. Um, and you know, after a couple of years, uh, they came to me and said, yeah, you know, we decided we're not gonna renew your contract, which was not great for me since I had a wife who was at home with three children who were like second grade and younger. And uh, that was our sole income. And we lived in Northern New Jersey, which is a you know suburban New York City and really, really expensive. We lived in a shoebox that I paid hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for. So I was in a really difficult situation and kind of you know thinking, oh my goodness, Lord, well, now what are we gonna do? Um, and I'm going to have to try to tell the story without crying because sometimes it, it does make me cry. So I'm going to do my best here. You bear with me, please, because this For just sure. shows the loving, merciful hand of God. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so anyway, I thought for a while, you know, maybe maybe I try something new, you know, maybe TV's not not the thing anymore. So I looked around and talked to people and you know, I didn't really have any great ideas. And like I said, I had this looming financial situation that wasn't going to be kept at bay for very long. So I thought, all right, well, I better just get a job here. So there are a couple of websites to track the uh, TV news business, um, you know, gossip developments, hiring, firing, things like that. And among the things on those sites are job announcements, which I never looked at. I was working at NBC and making good money. And, you know, I had no occasion to ever consider, frankly, taking a look at those. But having lost the job, I thought, hmm, might be worth taking a peek at those job <laughs> Virgin territory we need to explore here on, online. <laughs> Uh, and I remember, so I did, and I remember to this day, almost verbatim, the first job announcement that I saw was a blind ad. So it didn't say who was looking, uh, but it said something like this. An American news consultant is looking for a director of news operations on behalf of a Middle Eastern based news agency. And then it went on to talk about the news agency. And I actually guessed which one it was because wow. we had used for, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't know at the time, but I thought I knew which one it was. And I thought, well, geez, you know, I mean, I need a job, but we just, I've been trying for years to get back to the States one. I've covered the Middle East a lot too. Don't really love the place. That's the last place I want to go with my family, right? So we'll put that one in, you know, deep reserve and keep looking. Uh, about a month later, without any better options, I thought, okay, maybe I'll just send off an inquiry here and see what this really is all about, which I did. Uh, I said something like, you know, job query and sent it in uh, to this blind email address, which was something like, you know, newsguy1234 at, you know, whatever it was. Oh, my goodness. Email, sir. Yeah. Uh, and this is, I'm going to try to keep this together because this is like Red Sea parting at Moses's feet because of God kind of miracle territory where I headed out into without the water. Um <laughs> Sorry. So anyway, I went out with my wife and we ran some errands. And when we came back, I'd gotten a response from this blind email address. And the subject line had been changed, you know, where I'd written job query. And it said, <coughs> sorry, it said a name from the past. 
And it, it turns out that the guy who was looking for this news director, director of news operations for this Turkish Istanbul-based news agency, which was the one I guessed, was my first boss from Phoenix, Arizona, TV news. I hadn't seen or talked to in 15 years. Whoa. Looking for somebody on behalf of the Turks in Istanbul. No way. That are just, they're absolutely subterranean. I mean, it simply couldn't happen hmm. without God orchestrating that, um, mm. which I knew instantly. And that didn't mean that, you know, I was going to get that job. It took like maybe four months of interviewing and so on before it came together. But it was just a way of his showing me, you need to be faithful and just trust me. I will work my will. You know, that's really, it was so clear to me. And, you know, all the weight and pressure of those financial things just fell to the side for me there. So anyway, sorry, I'm a little weepy eyed here, but that is okay. You know we cry on this show. Well, some of us do. I do. Well, we, we really serve a loving almighty God and <laughs> he does things that we don't deserve for us. And I recognize it as clearly as anybody out there. So yeah. it's touching when you think about it, especially that instance room, because I was in a desperate position. Hmm. Wow. Well, we both have questions now. Uh, I, I want to talk about your I want to talk about your children because our podcast is about generational bridging. And I want to know, so your kids were young, so they probably didn't understand everything that was going on in those moments. But now, or maybe just even a few years ago, have you had conversations with them about God's sovereignty, about his provision, about just this, what we just talked about, you know, God providing and he's going to work his will out, just let go and let him do what he wants to do. And how, how do they respond or, or are they like, oh, dad, that's just your thing? No, I think they're fairly thoughtful children. And I, but I think, you know, we, and we do talk about those things some, but really the place I am with them right now, my wife and I, I think mostly are that they really are going to use the gifts they've been given and they've been given some that are quite impressive for me in a way that brings glory to God, mm. love serves and edifies the body and is salt and light to others. Because it's easy enough to go off and get a business degree and an MBA and start making lots of money and doing your own thing. And a lot of people do it. And even some Christians fall into that. And I think that the message that we really try to drive home to them is, Yes, it's, it's a blessing to be able to live a nice life with nice things. You know, I, I've got nice things around me that God has blessed me with. But those cannot be the things that are on the throne of your life. Mm. That's got to be reserved for God alone, and we need to serve him. We, mm. we do that by loving and serving others, I think, largely as believers. And that's really the thing that I'm pushing hardest on with them right now is to make sure they understand that because they're college age. We have one who's still in high school, actually. Um, so that's really where we are in terms of our faith relationship with them at this mm. moment. Very cool. Well, I want to know too, so a little bit of a, a side tangent a bit back into your career some is this is, so you've interviewed lots of people and you've been able to interact with uh, several people. Who Who is one of your favorite people to either interview mm -hmm. or interact with uh, around the world in your in your journey? 
and why? Well, I think the most fun, and I mean, take this with a grain of salt, and I guess that's kind of a pun, <laughs> is a woman named Margarita Sames, who I'm sure nobody knows by name, but she is Margarita of Margarita fame, a la, like, would you like salt on your glass with that margarita? <laughs> she invented the margarita. She's what? in Texas. And she invented the margarita in uh, Acapulco in like 1943 or something. So one year when I was, I was working on local TV for Cinco de Mayo here in Phoenix, <laughs> we had her on and she was like 85 or some 90. I mean, she was quite old by that stage of the game, but oh, she was so spunky. And the anchor man who was doing the interview mentioned something about liking margaritas and that he, he uses, um, let me get this right. He would put triple sec in his margaritas, which of course is not what's supposed to be the margarita. I don't think so. It's supposed to be Cointreau. And I'm not an aficionado, but I remember this very distinctly. And he was probably 55 or 60 and a really serious news guy. I mean, he was great. And she chastised him on the air. It was <laughs> could he say right she invented the drink and she's 85 it, it was a lot of fun actually. <laughs> so maybe a little uh frivolous but it was a great interview and she had a lot of personality <laughs> oh that's really good wow that's awesome that's so neat and i tell you the, you know, the, the interesting thing about the job that i had was you would you, there were people like that and then there were some world leaders like, you know, Gorbachev, I interviewed him after Reagan died. Yeah. Of course, they're kind of linked in history forevermore, those two. Mm. But then there are a lot of regular people, and I don't mean that to sound disparaging, but anonymous people mm. that nobody knows, right? Beyond their immediate circle of family and friends. Um, and it's those, a lot of those were fascinating. And one of the most interesting stories I ever did was in this place called uh, Stepnogorsk, which is in Kazakhstan which is one of the former Soviet republics. And this was, um, I don't know, maybe 2001 or two, three, something like that. And they had there as part of the Soviet biological weapons program, which was absolutely enormous, this anthrax factory mm. that made weapons grade anthrax on an industrial scale. And we were there when they were in the process of tearing it down with US Defense Department money. But it was interesting to see the place to really get a, a glimpse of human nature. I mean, when everything's been stripped away, this thing was, I mean, it was acres and acres and acres, this facility. But the main factory for manufacturing the anthrax, I would say was maybe like, you know, 150, 200 yards long. And it had eight, I think it was eight, six or eight, six-story vats hmm. for manufacturing anthrax that kill hundreds of millions of people. And, and we asked the guy, they had a guy there who was, you know, representing the, the, I mean, it wasn't the Soviet Union anymore. He was a Russian military officer, but it was in Kazakhstan. It was kind of a weird setup. Anyway, we asked him, well, what's the point of that? I mean, if everyone, you've got all these nuclear warheads, right? Just like the U.S. I mean, I'm not pointing fingers at Russia or the Soviet Union here per se, but what's the point of having that when you've got, you know, 20,000 warheads? And he said, well, because the thinking was that the nuclear stuff would kill most of the people, right? But some people would live, but their immune systems would all be weakened from the radiation poisoning. But then we, this would go next and it would wipe out everybody else. Whoa. All right. <laughs> that's, who, that's humanity. Yeah. That's who we are at our core. Wow. I mean, that's like one guy thinking that up. That's an enormous group of people thinking it up, figuring out how to do it, and then putting piles of money into piles. it to make it happen. Wow. I mean, the, those, 
Think about that six or eight story vats. Well, I mean, they weren't full of stuff, thank God, when we were there anymore. That had all been taken away, but. Uh, That's mind boggling to me. It really is mind boggling. I mean, you can't forget something like that. It's truly stunning, frankly. Wow. And rank and file people running the thing, you know, going in, punching the clock every day. Yep. Making anthrax to wipe out. To kill. The people. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're going to wrap up our time right away, but, you know, there's, um, I get excited when I get to talk with you because you've seen and, and have just done so much more life than I will ever be able to do in my lifetime. And I appreciate hearing your story and your journey. And, and I love hearing the thread of, of Jesus through it. But I'll tell you what's really exciting is when I talk to you and remember in our last interview, there was a word and I couldn't think of what the word was about your faith. And I was like, what is that word? And it came to me, it's infectious. Apropos of my visit to Kazakhstan. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry. I couldn't resist that. <laughs> that's really funny. I never even planned that. Um, but it, it is. And that's what I think just excites us when we get to talk with you is uh, yeah, you've done lots of things in life, but your faith, your faith is infectious. And that's what we need. Yeah, That's what mm. we need to build up the body. So, Well, thank you. I, it's, I appreciate your you. For me, you know, one of those things that really sticks out in the Bible is the, the parable Jesus tells about the servants who got one mina each from the master who was going away, right? And one, another place, I think, another one of the scriptures is called talent. He's got one, you know, the one guy invested it and got 10 for it. The other got five. The one guy buried in the dirt. And, you know, how many got mine bring back? I don't know, but I don't want to be the guy who buries in the dirt. Yeah. That mm. I don't want to be. So that, that's the lesson that I really am trying to drive home to my children is that what God's given us, you know, he doesn't give us all the same thing, but what he's given us, you got to use all out for him and to edify love and strengthen the body and to be salt and light to everybody else. Because there's, there's going to be an accounting. There will be. Yeah. So. You want to have used what you've been given wisely, I think. And that really is kind of the thing that drives me. Amen. That's awesome. That's a, a great word for us to, to end with here today. I think that's so good. So, well, yeah. thank you, Thomas, for, <clears throat> again, your, your, your time and, um, yeah, shining the light of Christ through your, your career here today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a real blessing. God bless you both. Hey, we're trying to build each other up, not ignore each other here on Only We Matter podcast with Brandon and Jacqueline. Thanks for listening. Hit the subscribe button and keep the conversation going.